Well, this morning we are blessed to have Andy Craig. He is a pastor of Children's Ministry and down at uh, uh, Kent Baptist Church or East East Ridge Baptist Church. Some of you have uh, heard John LaPron. He's come a number of times. Andy graduated from the Master's Seminary in 2011. He's the uh, children's pastor there. He has his bachelor's in aerospace engineering from Syracuse University. He has two children of his own, and uh, I'm sure they keep him busy as well as the uh, uh, kids' classes there at Eastridge. And if some of you Sunday school teachers think that your class of 12 or 14 is a bit too many, I think he's dealing with a class of 20 uh, little ones that are all running around. And so I hope that you'll give him a warm welcome as he opens the Word of God to us. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and just by uh, way of disclaimer, uh, Joe mentioned that our senior pastor, John LaPron, has come here and preached before. Um, he's out of town this week, and uh, so I know Joe contacted our other associate pastor, Ryan Treziak, and he was unavailable this week, and so I am the third string. Uh, so just, <laughs> just to uh, set your expectations at a proper level um, for you this morning, but it is just a delight to be here and to uh, bring the Word of God to you. It's, it's just a tremendous blessing, isn't it, to have instantaneous fellowship because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what gives us the opportunity to come to, the, to each other, even though I don't know, uh, know you and you don't know me. We have just an instantaneous bond because of our common Savior. We have the common Lord, Jesus Christ. We have the common authority, Scripture. And so we rejoice in that. We also have a common walk, don't we? We have the walk of following the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what all Christians have been called to do. If you are a Christian... By definition, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are one who walks after the Lord Jesus Christ. And this walk is a difficult one at times. One of the most convicting verses in Scripture to me comes from Matthew 8.20, where Jesus is approached by a scribe, and the scribe says to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response is this, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So as this scribe comes to Jesus, indicating to Christ that he would follow Christ wherever he would go, Jesus' response is, birds and foxes have better accommodations than the Son of Man. And I find this verse convicting because I sleep in a nice, comfortable bed with a big, fluffy pillow. And if I don't get to sleep in that bed, I get to sleep in another bed. And so as we follow Jesus Christ, we understand His call to follow Him is one of self-denial. The very summons to come after Christ, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The very substance of the Christian life is one of hardship and one of trouble because we are following our Lord and Savior who was obedient to God even unto death. And so who are we to think that we ought to have a better life than our Lord? And so sometimes we can think of this Christian life and say, this is a hard thing. This is a hard life to live. This is a hard example to follow of Jesus Christ. And we can grow discouraged and we can wonder, am I really cut out for this? Am I sufficient for this task to follow Christ and follow His commands and follow His examples. Well, I find that in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, provides us a wonderful encouragement 
for this life that we have of following Christ. For we find in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, an illustration, an example of one who is called to a difficult ministry. And yet we find in Jeremiah 1 the glue that kept him in this path. So I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. And as we read this, I want you to be looking at this illustration of one who is called into a ministry, one that will be difficult and one that will be troubling. But this is, comes at the very beginning of his call and sticks him to that ministry for the rest of his life. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. The first few verses will be historical background, and, and then we'll dig into the, the majority of our text, verses 4 through 10. Jeremiah 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in the Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Let's go to the word, Lord, in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning seeking to be edified and encouraged, to be convicted and challenged as you desire. Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart and soul in this room, that you would be using your word to minister to us this morning, that you would come and you would help us to see the the challenge of the life that you've called us to in Christ and yet the encouragement that you provide. Father, be glorified this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Jeremiah 1 is really an illustration. It serves as an illustration for us today, us Christians, how the Lord has called us to a, a divinely appointed task that is challenging and difficult, and yet He appoints us and He equips us. So as we approach this text, I just want to break it down into two main headings. One is the Lord appoints His servants, and then secondly, the Lord equips His servants. What would compel someone to enter into a ministry that they know is going to be challenging, difficult, that they will suffer heartache, persecution, physical and emotional distress? Even more so, what would compel somebody to stay in then once they find out that this is what the ministry is about? That this is a life of hardship and even increased devotion to the ministry that you've been given increases the difficulty and the challenges with it. 
What would compel somebody to that? Oh, one of the answers that Jeremiah gives is it takes being chosen by the Lord for that. Jeremiah, the prophet, served during the reign of three primary kings at the end of the life of Judah before they were exiled. Served during the reign of Josiah, the righteous king. During the reign of Jehoiakim, the wicked king. And during the reign of Zedekiah, a weak king who refused the counsel of the Lord. Jeremiah was called to a ministry by the Lord, one of proclaiming that judgment is coming on a land that has rejected God. Jeremiah was given the task of going to a people who had hardened their hearts to their covenant Lord, so much so that they disregarded the very word of God himself. Jeremiah had no light task. He had the task of telling Judah, destruction is coming, exile is coming, Babylon is coming, you are going to experience severe hardship, famine, drought, suffering, pain, exile from your land. Jeremiah was given this task to preach to a people who was so hard in their hearts that they would not heed the call. And yet Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He is one who had the heart of the people. He had the people on his heart. He loved the people that he preached to and he wanted them to repent. Over a hundred times in this book of Jeremiah, he is giving the call, repent, repent, turn back to the Lord. Judgment is coming. And yet during the extent of his ministry, which is over 40 years, there may have only been two converts. Baruch, his scribe, and Ebed-Melech, the man who saves him out of the pit of death. Other than that, we don't know of anyone who turns because of the preaching of Jeremiah, and yet he's given this task by the Lord to preach and to call people to repentance, to call them back to the Lord, to tell them if you turn, then judgment won't be quite as bad. If you turn, then the exile won't be quite as hard. And yet they will not turn. It was so bad that when Jeremiah spoke with Zedekiah the king, warning him that judgment is coming, exile is coming, he told Zedekiah, if you turn back to the Lord and you do what the Lord says, it won't be quite as bad for you. Your life will be spared. Your sons, your children will be spared. And it won't be quite as bad for you. And yet Zedekiah, afraid of the people around him, refused the counsel of the Lord to his own detriment. And so when Jerusalem was sacked by Babylon and Zedekiah flees, he's captured by the Babylonians and brought before the Babylonian king. And Zedekiah there before his eyes, his sons are lined up before him and the king of Babylon slaughters his sons and then gouges out his eyes so that the last thing that he saw was the death of his progeny and then he is brought to Babylon to live out the rest of his days. Jeremiah warned him, and he would not listen. He kept on preaching, and they would not listen. This isn't all too different from the land in which we live. A land that is darkened by sin. It doesn't take a prophet to point out the trajectory of our land as it abandons biblical morality. And we see where our land is going as it calls evil, good, and it calls good, evil, and it calls those who refuse to get in line to celebrate this thing that they call good. This is the trajectory of our day, and there are faithful believers throughout our land that are calling people to repentance, to faith in God, to trust in Jesus Christ. 
And yet, for the most part, our land is continuing on in this direction, in this trajectory. And people do not turn. Their hearts are hardened. Some do, and we praise God for that, don't we? And so our message continues to go forth. But Jeremiah, and like our day, we continue to preach, and the majority of people will not turn, and yet we are called in this dark land to be a light in the world. No matter what comes in our land, no matter what legislation is passed, no matter what we are commanded to do, we are commanded ultimately to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be a light in this dark world. And as the darkness grows ever darker, our light needs to shine all the brighter. And that draws attention and that draws attraction and that shows that people will come to us and they will see and they will call us backwards and they will call us ancient and archaic and bigots and all of that. And yet we still have the task to live lives that are faithful to the calling of following Jesus Christ and being light in this dark world. God has called us to this task. God has summoned us to it. Well, Jeremiah, we see how he was called to this task in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So how did Jeremiah get in this, pro, in this gig? How did he get in this job? How did he get this task? The Lord says very clearly, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Before a single cell of Jeremiah existed, his life was set out for him to be a prophet of the Lord. That word knew, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That word know is that relational knowledge used between husband and wife. It's not that intellectual acknowledgement of some certain facts. It's a relational knowledge. And, and God uses it in Amos 3, 2, referring to his people Israel. He says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Of course, it's not that the Lord didn't know the other families of the earth, the other nations, but it's that the Lord chose Israel to have this special relationship with him. And so, too, God chose Jeremiah to have this special task, the special relationship with the Lord. The Lord knew him. And when did he knew him, know him? Before he was even formed. Before he was born. He was consecrated. He was set apart. You know, in the temple that there were certain utensils that were supposed to be used for certain things. Well, so too, Jeremiah was used, was set apart by God for a certain task. He was consecrated. He was sanctified by the Lord. Before he was even born, God did this. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God ordained Jeremiah's task. He wasn't going to be a prophet just to Judah. He was going to be a prophet to Babylon, to Moab, to Egypt, to Edom. He would go out to these lands and proclaim the message that God had given him. He had a huge task, and it was given to him before he was even born. Well, how does this help? How could it not help? Knowing what Jeremiah's ministry was, of over 40 years of hardship and heartache, he is told at the very beginning of his ministry, you were built for this, Jeremiah. You were made for this. This is what you were designed for. 
And so Jeremiah, for over 40 years, and over the course of the book of Jeremiah, over 52 chapters, he continues on in his faithful, steadfast proclamation of the message that God had given him without much wavering. Because at the very beginning, he has given this word from the Lord, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Jeremiah knew that he was specially appointed for this task. He was given a divine mission from the supreme authority in the universe. And so what other authority could stop him in this trajectory? No one else had greater authority than the one who had given him this task, and therefore no one else can stop him from this pursuit that he has. This is an anchor big enough to hold him steady in the most dangerous of storms. Now, I don't want to give the impression that Jeremiah was without emotional turmoil in this. I want to read to you some of his words from chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. As Jeremiah expresses some of his emotional distress from the task that he's been given. Jeremiah says in chapter 20, verses 14 through 18, Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Those are the words of an embittered and desperate man. And if you read the extent of his ministry, you understand why. As he suffered great persecution. And he comes to the point there in chapter 20 of expressing to the Lord, it would have been better for me not to have been born. But you realize what he expresses in saying that, that he understands he was born for this. And so he knows this. He knows he's been given this task. And that's why he says it would have been better for me not to have been born But the Lord is kind with Jeremiah, and he leads him to repentance, and Jeremiah continues on in his task, and he goes on. It doesn't mean he was perfect in his task, but he meant he kept on going for 40 years, for 52 chapters. The role in ministry of Jeremiah continues on. Well, this is all great for Jeremiah, but what about us? What about us? You are not Jeremiah. I met someone whose name is Jeremiah this morning, but you're not this Jeremiah. (laughs) Only this Jeremiah is this Jeremiah. You, as far as I know, no one in this room has been given a vision from the Lord to be a prophet to the nation of Judah during the 7th, 6th century B.C. And yet, this is just a tremendous illustration to us of the Lord's call, the Lord's appointment, in our own life. No, the Lord hasn't spoken to us in an audible voice, giving us a specific task, but He has given us a task, and He has appointed us. Let me draw some of the parallels here. Some of the facts made clear from Scripture that parallel the ministry of Jeremiah to, to our ministry and our appointment as believers. 
First of all, you understand, don't you, that the, the Christian life is one that does call us to sacrifice and denial and hardship. In Acts 14.22, Paul, on his first missionary journey, teaches new disciples this. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In Matthew 10.22, Jesus likewise teaches his disciples, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And again, Jesus says in John 15.20, Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus makes plain, he's the master, we're his servants. He was treated horribly and persecuted. How should we expect to have a better life than he did? And so the Christian life, of course, involves great joy, satisfaction, delight in the Lord, But we do understand that it is a calling, of a hard calling. But there's more. What has brought us into this life? We wouldn't choose this for ourselves, knowing what the Christian life entails. We wouldn't choose this for ourselves, but it makes very clear in the New Testament that we didn't choose this for ourselves. God chose this for us. John 15, 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus says he chose his disciples. It was his call. He's the one who made that decision. In 2 Timothy 1, 7-9, just a very important passage. Paul writes to Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, and love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That's a long time before we were born. God gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So like Jeremiah, who God knew before he was even formed, who was consecrated before he was born, so to us believers, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, you were given grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This was in God's mind and his purpose to select and choose you out of the world to be his representatives, a light in the world. God has done this. And Paul ties together in that passage in Timothy the giving of grace before the ages began and not being ashamed of the gospel and hardship for following Christ. Ephesians 2.10, Paul also writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has chosen us. He's called us to this Christian life, which includes hardships. And he set us apart to have good works that we should walk in. And he prepared those good works beforehand. And so, like Jeremiah, we have a hard calling. 
But two, also like Jeremiah, we have a calling that was given to us before we were even born. We might be tempted to look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and say, it'd be really nice if I had something like that. If I had the Lord appear to me and speak directly to me and give me sort of my mission in life, that would be just a wonderfully tremendous blessing to have that. Then I would be more faithful in my devotion to the Lord. Then I'd be more faithful in my relationship with Him and my, in my ministry because I'd know exactly what He set me apart to do. I would have clarity about what I should do. I would do better than I'm doing now. If I had something like Jeremiah had, it would be so much easier for me to go about this Christian life than I do right now. But brothers and sisters, to think of such a thing is to undermine the sufficiency of God's word which he has given us. He has given you a calling like he gave to Jeremiah. It is in the written word of God which is inspired and God breathed, which is authoritative and sufficient for our entire life. God has given us in his word a clear communication to us for those who are Christians You are set apart to be a light in this world, and you are set apart before the ages began. So we do have a calling like Jeremiah, and let it be an encouragement to us. We have an appointment like Jeremiah to pursue this life of devotion to our Lord with greater fidelity and devotion, knowing that we've been chosen by Him, appointed by Him before a single cell of us existed, before the ages began. God has done this. What a gift, what a treasure to know that God has planned this out, has appointed us before we were even made. You are a Christian, and you've been set apart to be a light in the world. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a Christian, you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and now we have the task to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has done it. You've been appointed for this task. Secondly, the Lord equips his servants Jeremiah's response in verse 6 is just so genuine and honest. He says in verse 6, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. The enormity of this task has set on Jeremiah. He's been called to be a prophet to the nations, and he understands the weight of that task. And so he responds in this manner. And as we look at his response and the Lord's response, we'll we'll see three things that the Lord says about equipping us for the task that he's appointed us to. First, he equips the inexperienced. He equips the inexperienced. Jeremiah's task and the Christian's task is, in a word, daunting. If it's not daunting to you, then you may have a wrong perception of your task as a Christian to be a light in this dark world. As John Piper has said, if you are sufficient for your task, it's too small. 
And so we look at the call of Jeremiah and we look at the task of the Christian and we are overwhelmed by it. We say, I am not good enough for this. You could say to yourself, I, I wish that somebody else was for this. I wish somebody else had this job of proclaiming the gospel or living as a Christian in this dark world or in my workplace. I wish somebody else could do it more equipped and qualified than me. I wish somebody else who could speak better than me would do this. I wish somebody who had a degree would do this in my place. I wish somebody who had a greater stature or looked better than me was in my place. Somebody else could do it better than I could. And that's almost what Jeremiah is saying, isn't it? When he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Jeremiah calls himself a youth. That may be anywhere between the ages of 13 and 20. It's not a very precise term. Basically what it means is he's not married. He's still under the financial provision of his parents. So he may be a very young man, as young as 13 years old, when the Lord comes to him and calls him to this task to be a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak, for I am only a youth. This sounds very similar to what Moses says to the Lord when the Lord comes to Moses and calls him to be the means by which he would call Israel out of Egypt. Moses says to the Lord, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. If you feel like you are competent in yourself and adequate for the task that you have as a Christian, then you may be thinking too highly of yourself. For the task that we've been given is like Jeremiah, namely impossible on our own strength. And this is where 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 28 just is such an encouragement to us. When God said, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. It shouldn't surprise us that God chose maybe a 13-year-old boy to be a prophet to the nations. This is the way that God works he chooses the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things in the world to shame the strong. He chooses the low and despised to bring to nothing the things that are. So if you feel, according to the world's standards, foolish, weak, you are in the perfect position to be used by the Lord. If those words of Jeremiah ring true to you, I don't know how to speak, I'm only a youth. If those have crossed your mind while you're sitting next to somebody or intending to share the gospel with them, if you think that, that is very common. And the purpose of that is that you wouldn't rely on yourself, but you'd rely on God. Clearly, God doesn't agree with Jeremiah's assessment as this is a means of disqualification for him from this task. The Lord says to him, in verse 7, the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. The Lord doesn't buy it. He's not taking what Jeremiah is selling. 
Jeremiah says he's not sufficient for this task. God agrees, but he's saying, you're going to where I'm going to send you. And you're going to speak what I'm going to give you to speak. So Jeremiah's excuse doesn't hold up. The Lord will send him, and he will go. The Lord will command him, and he will speak. Jeremiah has no excuse. Saying, I am only a youth, doesn't cut it. He will be going to stand before kingdoms, before kings. He'll preach in the gate of the temple. He'll preach before the kings of Judah. And he will do it, because that's to whom the Lord sends him. And who does the Lord send us to? uh, to? Go, make disciples of all nations. So we too have this task of pursuing all the nations of the world, calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We may do that right here where we are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. You may have opportunity to be a light for Christ there, or maybe God would be pleased to send you to another land and proclaim Christ there. But whatever the case may be, we have this task to go and make disciples of all nations. And we will go as we are commanded. And we need to speak as we are commanded to speak. So the Lord equips the inexperienced. He also equips us with his presence. We see this in verse 8. God says to Jeremiah, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Anybody can create fear in us, given the right setting. Our sweet old grandmother can create fear in us if all of a sudden we feel like we're compelled to share the gospel with her. And we begin to rationalize and think, she's a sweet elderly lady who's lived a pretty good life. I don't want to ruin it for her now. I don't want to mess up the way that she thinks. I don't want her to get upset at me. And so we have this tendency, and I speak by experience, to fear those to whom we are sent to. But the Lord says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of them, to the people that God will send him to. Why? For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Perhaps Jeremiah understands a little bit about what it means to be a prophet to the nations at this point. In chapter 25, God gives Jeremiah the task of going to the nations and telling them to drink the cup of the wrath of God. And if they refuse, God tells Jeremiah, you must make them drink. Who's sufficient for that task? Well, God equips us with his presence. I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The reason that Jeremiah should not fear is not because the people he's going to are weak and non-terrifying. It's rather because God will be with him. I'd like to just survey with you a couple of the scenarios that Jeremiah gets into in the book of Jeremiah. Some of the tricky situations that he encounters, some of the troubling trials that he experiences. In chapter 11, verses 18 through 23, men from Jeremiah's own hometown seek his life. 
In chapter 18, verse 18, people come and they plot against Jeremiah saying, Come, let us strike him with the tongue. Let us not pay any attention to any of his words. In chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, Pasher, the priest, beats Jeremiah and puts him in stocks for the very reason of Jeremiah having preached the word of God. In chapter 26, verse 11, priests and prophets agree, false prophets agree, that Jeremiah deserved death. They say of him, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city. In chapter 36, verses 20 through 26, Jehoiakim, the king, receives Jeremiah's scroll, the written record of what Jeremiah has been preaching, and he takes that scroll and he cuts it off section by section and throws it into the fire to be burned. How about that for somebody hating what you're telling them? In chapter 37, Jeremiah is accused of desertion. He's seized and he's beaten and he's thrown into prison. In chapter 38, Jeremiah is thrown in a cistern of mud to be killed. And this one may have stung most of all. After Jeremiah has been preaching for over 40 years, the exile is coming. And then exile comes. And there's a few people left in the land. And Jeremiah tells them, Don't go down to Egypt. He gives them a word from the Lord. And they come to him. After all that Jeremiah has been preaching has been coming true, has come true, is evidenced by the facts of reality. They come to him and say to him, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you. After all those years of faithful preaching and bearing out the reality of what's coming after it's been a accomplished, he is accused by the people in his land that remain, you're telling a lie. He can't win. He's been seized, he's been beaten, he's been thrown into prison. And yet the Lord promised at the beginning of his ministry, I am with you to deliver you. You might wonder what kind of presence is this that doesn't deliver from a cistern, that doesn't deliver from people accusing him of lying who doesn't deliver from being beaten. Well, here's what Jeremiah says of the presence of the Lord in chapter 20, verses 10 through 12. Jeremiah says, I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But here's what Jeremiah says. But the Lord is with me, As a dread warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Jeremiah is looking at a greater perspective than just the 40 years of his ministry. He's looking at an eternal perspective. And he commits his cause to the Lord and understands that anyone who's come against him in this life will suffer at the hands of God. And so too, brothers and sisters, we have the promise of God through Jesus Christ to be with us. 
Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And then again in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Clearly, this doesn't mean that we will be delivered from every persecution and every hardship in this life, but it is that God will bring us through that and vindicate us us on that day when we stand before him. And so God is with us to deliver us, just as he is with Jeremiah to deliver him. So the Lord equips those who are inexperienced or inadequate. The Lord equips us with his presence. And then finally, the Lord equips us with his word. Verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build, and to plant. So how is Jeremiah supposed to go about this task that he's been given? It's primarily a verbal task. And the Lord gives him the words that he's to bring to the people. The Lord gives this wonderful illustration of touching Jeremiah's mouth. And in doing so, visualizes for Jeremiah that he is receiving the words of the Lord in his mouth. He's a sure message to preach that comes from none other than God himself. His whole career will be marked by one of authority based on the words of God that have been given to him by God himself. Jeremiah will encounter all sorts of false prophets during the course of his ministry, and yet Jeremiah knows for certain that he has the words of God himself preaching the truth. And in doing so, God gives Jeremiah this great authority He says, see, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. And then he gives two illustrations. One is of gardening and the other is of building. To pluck up illustrates plucking up a plant. As Israel or Judah was plucked up as a plant and transferred to Babylon with the exile. God has given authority through the words of what Jeremiah preaches to declare that it will be so. He plucks up. And breaks down and destroy and overthrow all this building metaphor of a building that is toppled and destroyed. And God, through the words that he gives Jeremiah, is giving him authority to break down, destroy, and overthrow. But God, always in his grace, doesn't leave it just at judgment. The middle of Jeremiah, chapters 30 through 33, declare a message of reconciliation and restoration that will come after the exile between God and his people Israel. And so Jeremiah, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of the message of judgment, gets to proclaim a message of building and planting as well. That what has been destroyed will be rebuilt. That what has been plucked up will be planted. And so too, we as believers have been given the message of the gospel, which is a very simple message that God judges and God saves. For those who don't repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the judgment of God for their life of hardship and rebellion against their Creator. But for those who repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will receive blessing and eternal life, living with Christ forever in perfect joy, harmony, free from sin, heartache, distress, tears. And so, Christians, we've been given this message as well 
And our gospel is one that proclaims a message of God's judgment and God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That the one who came in the flesh as an infant grew up to be a man who went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. That if anyone would believe in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. And God showed and vindicated what Jesus Christ did on the cross by rising him from the dead on the third day. So God has given us a message as well, contained in his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are to bring to the nations to declare God's judgment and God's salvation. You may wonder after all of this and thinking through the ministry of Jeremiah and the life of a Christian, is it worth it? Is this worth it? You bet your life it's worth it. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you are appointed by the Lord to be his minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all of us are that, whether a lay person or one who preaches week after week, we're called to that. If you are called to that, then you have found something more valuable than life itself, and that's Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on to say that whatever gain I had, it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So is it worth it? Is this life worth it? You better believe it is, because you come to know Jesus Christ, the supreme treasure of all, and we will know him for all eternity if you've come to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you indeed have given us a a hard task. We take courage from the example of Jeremiah that you appointed him and you equipped him. May we remember that you appoint us and you equip us, Lord. May we be faithful in the task that you've been given that you have given to us. May we go forward in this life knowing that you are with us to deliver us. May we have an eternal perspective on that. Lord, make us faithful. Thank you that we can know Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.